Amen. Amen. Well, let's go back then to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, continuing on, this is part two of, of a series on C.S. Lewis. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure what? Sound doctrine. But after their own loss shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from what? The truth. And shall be turned unto what? Fables. What are fables? Strong's Concordance defines a fable as a tale, not like an animal tale, a tale, T-A-L-E. That, a, a tale, a myth, fiction, a story. So the Bible told us that in the last days people would turn away from Bible doctrine to fables, to fiction, tales, myths, just stories. Well, who is C.S. Lewis? Well, just a a recap um, of what we saw last week real quick before we go on. His real name is Clive Staples Lewis. Uh, Clive is C-L-I-V-E, Clive Staples Lewis. He was born November 29th, 1898 in Belfast, Ireland. He died November 26 or 22nd, 1963 in Oxford, England. Uh, Britannica.com says he was an Irish-born scholar, novelist, and author of about 40 books, many of them on Christian apologetics, including, and this is the name of, of a work of his, The Screwtape Letters, and another name of his work was Mere Christianity, M-E-R-E, Mere Christianity. His works of greatest lasting fame may be the Chronicles of Narnia, a series of seven children's books that have become classics of fantasy literature. So what got me going on this, just a recap, is my wife and I were somewhere and a man brought up the the writings of C.S. Lewis and uh, was mentioning how they had been a blessing to him. And uh, he asked me if I had ever read any of them, and I said no. And I was warned about C.S. Lewis many years ago, so I thought I'd give you some info in case you ever confronted with this same thing. So uh, C.S. Lewis had rejected Christianity in his early teens and lived as an atheist through his 20s. In his 30s, He turned to theism, so the belief that there is a God, but not necessarily in Jesus Christ. And then it said uh, he turned to Christianity in 1931. It said partly with the help of his close friend and devout Roman Catholic, J.R.R. Tolkien. Now, as we mentioned last week, is is a devout Catholic going to lead you to Christ? No, a devout Catholic is going to lead you to get born again by getting baptized, which is a false plan of salvation. They're going to lead you to pray to Mary, pray to dead saints. They're going to lead you to believe in purgatory. Uh, They're going to lead you to confess your sins to men. 
So no, a devout Roman Catholic is not going to lead you to true salvation. Uh, Remember what Christianity Today wrote. And as I mentioned last week, Christianity Today is not a conservative publication. It's a very liberal publication. But they said in an article dated December 2005, they said Clive Staples Lewis was anything but a classic evangelical, socially or theologically. He smoked cigarettes and a pipe. He regularly visited pubs, that's bars, to drink beer with his friends. He did not subscribe to biblical inerrancy or penal substitution. He believed in purgatory and baptismal regeneration. And as we saw last week, what do you expect? You're saying he, he was led to Christianity by a devout Roman Catholic? Well, then, of course, he's going to believe in baptismal regeneration, a false way of salvation. So we looked quickly at biblically, biblical inerrancy last week, and that's the belief that biblical inerrancy believes that there are no errors in Scripture. So if he did not believe in that, then he believed that there were errors in Scripture. Uh, but uh, we'll go to Psalm 119. In verse 160, Psalm 119, verse 160. So I don't want you to think that it's just conservatives trying to bash C.S. Lewis. Um, Liberal publications really told it how it is concerning what he believed. In Psalm 119 and verse 160, The Bible says thy word is what? True from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth how long? Forever. So, but C.S. Lewis believed there are mistakes in the Bible. Um, He did not believe in penal substitution. And that means someone took the substitute for us, paid the penalty for us on the cross. And that, of course, is Christ. He did not believe in penal substitution substitution. 1 Peter 2, 24. In other words, he did not believe that Christ suffered the penalty for all of mankind. 1 Peter 2, 24. The Bible says, who his own self bear what? Our sins in what? His own body on the tree. That is substitution. That is penal substitution. He took our penalty in his own body, being dead to sins, that we should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. As we saw last week, C.S. Lewis believed in purgatory. We saw last week in Luke 16, the rich man died and was buried and in where? Hell. He lift up his eyes, being in torments. There is no such thing as a temporary place of suffering. If a person dies without Christ, they will spend eternity in everlasting fire, Matthew twenty-five forty-one, And then we kind of closed last week looking at his targeted audience was children. I mean, that's what disturbs us about these sodomites and these transgenders, these drag queens in the libraries and all kinds of places reading to who? To children. That's their target. We know what they're up to, and it's wicked, and it's evil. Um. This article said in 1950, C.S. Lewis published what has become his most widely known book, 
the children's fantasy, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And he's most well known for that. Notice with me in 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. And verse 15. 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from what? A child thou hast known what? The holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Paul was writing to Timothy in verse 15. He said, Then that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Now we're told over and over, if we just hear something, we have a certain level of memory retention. If we hear something and and write it, we have a greater memory retention. If we hear something and write it, plus see something, that's the greatest memory retention. The problem is this, when children read fictitious works like this, like C.S. Lewis has written, or watch his programs, or or if you watch uh, the Ten Commandments uh, from Hollywood, or any other film from Hollywood, or uh, the Left Behind series from professing Christians. People get confused in their minds of the truth. As I mentioned last week, I've never seen one film, maybe you have, I have never seen one film that is scripturally dealt with the rapture. In that, if, if people, in fact, let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, I was a teenager when somebody had a series of Left Behind. I don't know if it was Timothy LaHaye. In more recent years, he's been involved with that. And maybe that was his original work back then. I, I do not remember. But I remember we, uh, as young people in our church, we went to a I think it was the Civic Auditorium in Grand Rapids where a bunch of other churches were gathered to watch uh, one of these left-behind movies. And it was totally unscriptural. Um, I can't remember which way it was, but there, it started out with um, a uh, husband and wife. And uh, it, it seems to me in that film that the husband was lost and the wife was saved. And, of course, she was trying to get him to go to church and, and uh, the trying in the way that she could to bring him to Christ. And, uh, well, maybe it was the other way around because I, I think uh, he was, I think he was shaving or something, and the, uh, well, I don't know which way it went, but anyway, one of them. So one of them was gone. And so the other one, it's like, where did they go? It seems like the shaver was still running. That's why I'm wondering if it was actually the, the man who was saved. But, um, and so in that film, anyway, they had this other spouse end up getting saved. It was like, oh, they were telling me the truth. Um, I need to get saved. Well, that's the exact opposite of what's going to happen to those who have heard the gospel. Um, if you look at me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish 
because they received what? Not the love of the truth that they what? Might be saved. So those who do not receive the love of the truth and get saved, they've heard the gospel but don't receive it. Verse 11 says, and for this cause God shall send who? Them. Who's the them? Those who have heard the gospel and rejected it. For this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe what? A lie. That they all might be what? Damned to believe not the truth, but had pleasure in righteousness. No, that film was exactly wrong. What it should have portrayed was the hopelessness. When you hear the gospel and reject it, When the rapture takes place, all of those people who have heard the truth are going to believe the lie. That should have been the theme of the movie, that you better not reject Christ. If you've heard the gospel, listen, if the rapture happens, you are going to believe the lie. You are going to end up in hell. That is what the scripture teaches. So the problem is this. You show a bunch of young people those films, or for adults, that matter. I mean, how many adults read the Bible through in a year? How many adults professing Christ have ever read the Bible through? I mean, the entire thing. Relatively, percentage-wise, very few have ever read the Bible from cover to cover. So what happens? They sit down uh, in front of their video and they watch a movie like that and you know what they're going to believe the movie why well one reason is they had they've never read the complete bible the truth and so they just listen to one person and another one person and another they they don't know what to believe um notice in uh, acts chapter 17 acts chapter 17 they don't check anything out they don't know. Acts 17, 11, these were what? More noble than those in Thessalonica, and yet they received the word with what? All readiness of mind. So it's not that these people come with a, an antagonistic mind. No, these people come with readiness of mind and search the scriptures what? Daily, whether those things were so. So they're not... They're not coming to condemn whatever they hear. They're coming with a ready mind, but they're also checking it out, what they hear. So that's what we should be doing. So uh, it bothers me that C.S. Lewis's target audience is children. That greatly bothers me. Um, So anyway, as we go on, then, the historicity of the Bible. And Brother Cloud also has an excellent uh, booklet. It's a free Uh, download, and it's called C.S. Lewis and Evangelicals Today. So that's also another uh, good resource on C.S. Lewis. But the historicity of the Bible, um, C.S. Lewis did not believe that. What does it mean? It means when the Bible tells a story, it's of a true person, not some fictitious character. And here's a a couple examples about what C.S. Lewis believed. In his article, Modern Theology and Biblical Criticism, C.S. Lewis said, Jonah, a tale, T-A-L-E, a story, a tale, with as few even pretended 
historical attachments as Job. Grotesque in incident and surely not without a distinct, though of course edifying, vein of typically Jewish humor. C.S. Lewis, and I can give you a copy of that if you want to mull over that thing for a while. C.S. Lewis believed Jonah was just a tale and not the whale's tale. A myth, a story. And he, he puts Job in the same category of not a real person and not a real historical event. He did not believe in the historicity of the Bible, that it's true history. He believed it to be tales and myths. Now, what does it mean? Is it a big deal if someone says, well, I don't think Jonah was a real character? Well, it is a big deal. Um, Jesus believed that Jonah was a real character. Um, And let's go to Matthew 12, see what Jesus said about Jonah. Matthew 12 and verse 38. Matthew 12, 38. Jesus, here we see him. Then certain of the Pharisees, of scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he, Jesus, answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of who? The prophet Jonas. Now, Jonas would be the Greek spelling of Jonah and the Hebrew spelling. So it's Jonah. Verse 40, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in what? The whale's belly. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in where? The heart of the earth. So what C.S. Lewis is saying, that was just a tale. That wasn't a true, that wasn't a true story. Jesus verifies that Jonah was indeed a real character, and what happened to Jonah was a type or a prophecy of what was going to happen to him. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly and then came up, the Son of Man would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and would be brought forth. And resurrection. So to deny the historicity of Jonah is to blaspheme Jesus. It's to call him a liar. Would you want your children reading the works of someone who called Jesus a liar? Well, that's what C.S. Lewis did. Not only in the matter of Jonah... But also, Job, uh, and it's hard to tell in his going back and forth exactly who he's talking about when, but I'll read it again. Lewis said, Jonah, a tale with as few even pretended historical attachments as Job, grotesque and incident, and surely not without a distinct though, of course, edifying, vein of typically Jewish humor. What is funny about the story of Jonah? Absolutely nothing is humorous. What is funny about the book of Job? 
Absolutely nothing is humorous. If you find humor in the book of Job and his suffering, you are sadistic. But that's what C.S. Lewis said. And so in that vein of thinking, his own writings are just then as true as the book of Jonah and the book of Job because that's the way he's writing. It's just fiction. Uh, So by denying the book of Job as being historical and real, He's attacking the New Testament. Notice in James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And verse 10. James 5.10. The Bible says, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. So he's talking about prophets who have suffered And then he brings up, verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of who? Job. And have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very, what? Pitiful and of tender mercy. If the book of Job is no more than Jewish humor, like I said, that's sadistic. But it's very clear here that it's taking the book of Job, his life, and the events as absolutely true. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Yes, Job was a real man. Yes, Job had ten real children. Yes, Job lost ten real children in one tragic windstorm, thanks to Satan. Job lost all of his wealth, his income, his job. His animals in one day, all the same day. Then Job actually got sick for months, was smitten with sore boils from his head to his foot. And then, yes, God did bless a real man called Job and gave him twice as much as he had before and gave him ten more children. The prophet Ezekiel also attests to Job that he's a real man. Ezekiel 14 and verse 14. Ezekiel 14, 14. In a minute, I'm going to share with you about a man who was a preacher, um, but, well, I'll just, I'll explain just how how far a man like C.S. Lewis can drag somebody down. Ezekiel 14, verse 14. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and who? Job, were in it. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Well, uh, if Job is fictitious, then is Noah and Daniel? Are they just fictitious characters? So, oh, so the, the, the lion's den really isn't true, Mr. Lewis? You don't believe God spared Daniel and the lion's den? You didn't even believe that there was a real man called Daniel? That's just a story. That's Jewish humor. Jewish humor being thrown in a lion's den. Jewish humor, his accusers, their wives and their children were thrown in the lion's den and the lions broke all of their bones before they even hit the bottom. That's humor. That's sadistic. 
There's nothing humorous about it at all. Daniel was a real man. Noah was a real man. Oh, C.S. Lewis, then do you not even believe in the flood? The ark? Uh, if Job is fictitious, according to Ezekiel 14, 14, then are you going to say Daniel and Noah are fictitious? You know, all these things didn't really happen. They're just stories. Wow, that's pretty serious stuff. I wouldn't want my children listening to this guy. Nothing he wrote at all. Then it comes to salvation, C.S. Lewis. Uh, this is Brother Cloud's testimony from his article. Um, he said, I've read several of his books, C.S. Lewis, dozens of his articles and several biographies about him, and I have never seen a clear teaching on the new birth or a clear biblical testimony that he, C.S. Lewis, was ever born again. And then he mentions the Christianity Today article, which said that C.S. Lewis believed in baptismal regeneration. And that's not from a conservative source at all. Brother Cloud goes on to say, in, and this is the name of another one of C.S. Lewis's works, called The Great Divorce, which is about salvation, heaven and hell, C.S. Lewis does not mention the necessity of personal faith in Christ or the blood of Christ or the new birth. The whole, the whole work, the great divorce, is about works and character. That was Brother Cloud's take on it. Let's look at Galatians 2. Galatians 2. And verse 21. Galatians 2, 21. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is what? Dead in vain. If we can work our way to heaven, then Jesus died for nothing. But he did not die for nothing, because we can't work our way to heaven. Romans 3, Romans 3, verse 20. Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be what? Justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. Galatians 2. Galatians 2, verse 16 this time. Galatians 2, 16. Knowing that a man is what? Not justified by what? The works of the law, but by what? The faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by what? The faith of Christ. And not by what? The works of the law. For by the works of the law shall what? No flesh be justified. So I've never read C.S. Lewis' um, uh, work, The Great Divorce, so I don't know. But that's what Brother Cloud said. He said he read it. He found no mention of the necessity of personal faith in Christ, the blood of Christ, or the new birth. It's all about works and character. 
You know, sometimes we think that our children maybe are beyond being able to be deceived because in our homes we've tried to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and in church we try to delve into the scriptures. And, um, but let us not be deceived. So the preacher I talked about, was going to tell you about, his name is Rob Bell. Rob Bell. Some of you may remember that name. Um, years ago, there was a man by the name of Ed Dobson that worked with, uh, with Billy Graham, or not Billy Graham, um, Jerry Falwell in Lynchburg, Virginia. And he was one of his associates down there. And after a while, he came up here to Calvary Undenominational, which is on the East Belt Line. And he became the pastor there, Ed Dobson, not to be confused with the Dr. Dobson of Focus on the Family, not the same guy. Okay, so Jerry Falwell is, is headed in a more evangelical direction versus conservative, as he started. Um, so Ed Dobson has been under his ministry. He comes up to Calvary on the East Belt Line and leads the church in a contemporary direction. And so somewhere along the line, um, Rob Bell is offered an internship under Ed Dobson. And so he's there for a while and often preached in his Saturday night service there. And Calvary Undenominational Church in this area was the first one I ever heard of that held a Saturday night service. And there's nothing particularly wrong. You can hold a service every night if you want. It, it wasn't that. It was just it was contemporary. And, uh, but anyway, this, this Rob Bell was the one that often preached at the Saturday night service. And so he was there for a while, and then he decided he was going to start his own church in Grand Rapids. And so he chose for the name Mars Hill. Well, that makes you think about Paul. It makes you think about philosophers and and a few listened to Paul, not many, but anyway, that's what he named the church. And the church was started at one place and then located in Granville, Michigan, on the west side there of Grand Rapids. And uh, by 2005, they said they were running 11,000 people. 11,000. And then... He was writing books, this man, Rob Bell, and then he wrote a book called Love Wins. Have you ever seen a bumper sticker that says on it, Love Wins? It's all about this book, Love Wins. And in the book, Rob Bell decided that, you know, in the end, there's not going to be an eternal hell of fire. In the end, love wins. You know, you talk about Calvinism. Calvinism teaches that irresistible grace. If God draws you, you can't resist. It's a funny thing. Jesus is God, and the rich young man, did he come to Christ? No, he resisted. He walked away from Jesus Christ. It said Jesus loved him, called him, and the young man walked away. He loved his money more than he loved God. But 
So Calvinism teaches anyway, those that God draws, he, they will come to him, love will win, but then he ordains others to hell. He doesn't call them, he doesn't draw them, and so they go to hell. That's Calvinism, and that's false, false doctrine. But for Rob Bell, he was, he was even, for his book, he was even criticized by John Piper. John Piper is probably the preeminent Calvinist of our day. Very intellectual and very wrong when it comes to Calvinism. But he even criticized this book because the Calvinists would say God is sovereign. Yes, he ordains some to heaven and others to hell, but he's sovereign. So the Calvinists actually believe that there is a hell, eternal hell. Rob Bell was writing a book that said, no, love wins. Everybody goes to heaven in the end. There's no eternal hell. Well, that was kind of the undoing of him at Mars Hill in Granville. People left the church. And so he just, he went off. Um, he went off to California. And uh, after that, uh, here's an article from ministrymatters.com. It said of Rob Bell, now the man who built a church of an estimated 10,000 people, and they were, they were actually low on that, on this article, the man who ch- built a church of 10,000 people isn't even attending an organized church now. Instead, he surfs the waves near Hollywood and has teamed up with a goddess of pop theology, Afra Winfrey. Doesn't even go to church now. And I'm going to tell you now what he has to do with C.S. Lewis. The, the book of his undoing, he had, he had been mentored by different generations that were going more and more liberal, and he took it to the ultimate. I could give you many of his quotes about, yeah, sodomites, transgenders, yeah, that's, that's fine, that's fine. So, in his book, in the acknowledgement of his book, Love Wins, this is what he wrote. He said, To my parents, Rob and Helen, for suggesting when I was in high school that I read who? C.S. Lewis. I find that very interesting in his book, So in his book, Love Wins, hell becomes a myth. It's a a tale, a -A T-A-L-E. It's a story. It's fictitious. And I find it interesting, in his acknowledgments to writing that book, he thanks his parents for introducing him to C.S. Lewis. That's where a man like that takes you. Right there. So the, the man who made hell a myth, he thanks C.S. Lewis for it. So let's go back to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. And let's read through this again. 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. And what does it say to do? Preach the word. 
Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure what? Sound doctrine. But after their own loss shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from what? The truth. And shall be turned unto what? Fables. As I mentioned last week in in my reading about C.S. Lewis, the Mormons love C.S. Lewis. The Catholics love C.S. Lewis. There are a lot of professing Christians from conservative churches that seem to love C.S. Lewis. And I'll ask the same question I asked last week. If you or I were to leave something behind that the Mormons and the Catholics just loved, but it did not pull them out of their error to the truth, then did we leave behind something good or bad? I'd say the answer is obvious. We left behind something bad. If it didn't move them to true salvation, if it left them in their error, comfort, seeing nothing, Nothing error in in their doctrine? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. So we need to to pray. Uh, And we need to be so careful. Um, In closing, let's go to Matthew 7. So Rob Bell says that love wins. In the end, in the end, love wins. There's no real hell of suffering. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth where? To destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto what? Life. And what? Few there be that find it. This is Jesus Christ talking. Jesus Christ is saying, Few are going to go to heaven, and the majority, the many, are going to hell. And to write a book saying love wins, you know, nobody's going to hell. That is blasphemy against the Son of God. It's calling him a liar. So it's interesting that verse 15 says what? Beware of who? False prophets. Beware of false prophets. Prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. May God help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that your word is true from the beginning, and every one of your righteous judgments endureth forever. Lord, we thank you that the Bible is true. And Father, I pray that you would help us and deliver us from deceivers, from false prophets like C.S. Lewis who rejected your word, who rejected Jonah, Job as myths, who then because of that would have been flat out calling Jesus Christ a liar. Father, we think of all of the children 
We think of Rob Bell himself as a young man. His parents encouraged him to read C.S. Lewis. And he took C.S. Lewis right to the end. Calling now hell a myth. Father, I pray you'd help us to be in the word of God. Help us, Lord, to be humble and realize that all of us can easily be led astray if we're not in your word each day. Lord, please protect us. Please protect our children from error. Protect us from error. Lord, we humbly come before you asking for the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth and to help us to remember what the Word of God says. We need your help. And Lord, we need your comfort in this day because the the majority are going the way of these mega churches, and they are going into error. Lord, please deliver us from evil. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.